Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder. Hey, Laura. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> okay, so this case, the Dr. Richard Sharp case, is the case that really Laura and I came together. And I met Laura. I adopted a kitten from her. Well, met me again because we actually went to high school together. That's true. You're yes. you're absolutely right. I knew of you. I didn't really know you in high school, which right. is uh, clearly I had my head in the sand. Um, <laughs> in the books, more like it. <laughs> and I clearly didn't. <laughs> Actually, the cat, Brutus, is the pod cat. So that's a kitten that I adopted from Laura. But the story is that I went over there to adopt a cat, went over to Laura's, and we just started talking crime. And I thought, man, this woman is more crime obsessed than I am. And we got talking and she had this great idea to focus on cases around the Ivy League. And I was a Harvard person and PI person and we're doing it. Yeah, well, I think closer to the truth is once I found out Sarah was a Harvard PI, I kind of attacked you with this concept <laughs> because you were it was such a perfect fit. And we were both from Cambridge and had such similar backgrounds that way. It, it's really rare to meet someone who's as crime obsessed as I am. And it's like, so Laura is actually more certifiable than right. I am. I mean, if you have your favorite defense attorney and forensic. I think this sums it up for Laura. Her husband, Owen, as a way of courting her, actually got court TV on his on his television. Okay, enough said. Okay, I think He also that... took me to hear Vincent Bugliosi speak oh, when, I was in my, when I was in my 20s in Miami, which isn't really something most people in their 20s in Miami want to be doing. For those who don't know, Vincent Bugliosi wrote Helter Skelter. Yes, that's right. And prosecuted Manson. In all reality, Laura, we've covered the Dr. Griniter case on the pod, and today we're talking about Dr. Richard Sharp. I became a private investigator in 1999, and both of these cases were going on in Boston at the time. These were high-profile Ivy League doctors who had both murdered their wives, and it was like... A very interesting time in Boston. Well, and they both, yeah, two Massachusetts doctors, one went to Yale, one went to Harvard. And I think that this really was one of the cases that kind of sparked the podcast because it was so alarming that you had these brilliant, successful doctors who from the outside looked like they had these perfect lives. And did they snap? What happened? Both killed their wives. It was just so 
different from the norm or what we had been kind of thought of in the Ivy League and the, the perfection and the success that we had come to expect. It's very true. And really from the outside, Dr. Richard and Karen Sharp seemed to just had this enviable life. He was Harvard educated, they had a beautiful home in a really posh hamlet outside of Gloucester, a lovely family, and a successful multi-million dollar dermatology practice. The reality of that perfect seeming life was starting to fray at the edges, however. Sharp's decades-long abuse, explosive temper, and cross-dressing had driven Karen Sharp to ask for a divorce and take out a restraining order against him. After years of abuse, she had finally had enough. On July 14, 2000, in a drug-fueled rage, Richard took a shotgun and shot Karen in front of her brother and the babysitter. So like Dr. Sharp, I also graduated from Harvard, as everyone knows. And what's the joke about Harvard people? How do you know if someone went to Harvard? How do you know? They tell you. <laughs> the first time you meet them. Sarah's actually not really like that, but. <laughs> she has to pry it out of me. Right. Every, I tell everyone Every she went several to hundred times I say it. Can you imagine, Sarah, if your high school sweetheart turned out to be a psychopath? This is exactly what happened to Karen Sharp. Through some toxic mixture of control, abuse, and a twisted sort of obsessive love, Richard Sharp managed to keep Karen under his thumb for close to 30 years. This is terrifying. Okay, so they grew up in a place called Shelton, Connecticut. Very working class. Yeah. Richard Sharp did not come from money or privilege or anything like that. And it was 1972, and they were teenagers, I guess, at Shelton High. And Richard Sharp had grown up in a very abusive household in Derby, and his father was a sort of volatile alcoholic who beat him and his mother. And so Richard recalled that his father would not attack his sister. So in a weird twist, Richard would lock himself in the bathroom trying to barricade himself against his father's assaults. In the bathroom, to comfort himself, Richard would pluck his sister's clothing out of the hamper and dress himself up as a girl. I think as a kid, he had an association of like, if I dress like my sister, my father won't go right. after me. Maybe if he looked like his sister, his father wouldn't attack him. So he later actually became, at the time they called it a cross-dresser. That's what they sort of said in the police report. And through his dermatology practice, he also had a laser hair removal system. So he denuded his body of the hair and he would steal Karen's birth control pills in an attempt to grow breasts. And so Richard is this very odd dichotomy. What we're dealing with is that he clearly had medical brilliance and he actually diagnosed his sister with strep at the age of 12. But he also had a dark side, and according to Sharp family members, Richard would sometimes kill family pets. But strangely, if the pets were sick, he would treat them. Yes. You kind of have the dichotomy between the healer and the abuser. This is kind of what's interesting about Richard Sharp and about other physicians we've seen who have been killers as well. Absolutely. So Karen Hatfield was born in 1956. And she grew up in a much more stable and loving family. When she met Richard in high school at the age of, I think this was maybe sophomore or junior year in high school. Yeah, they were very young. Mm -hmm. Her family really did not like Richard from the get-go. And Karen ends up getting pregnant at 17 and had to drop out of school. 
There are really a couple that had, if you looked at it at that time and would have thought, they're never going to make it. Oh, God, yeah. I guess Richard kind of had a flashy car. He had long hair. You know, he's kind of like the cool, edgy kid. And, you know, I would have totally gone for Richard in high school, probably, sadly. Yeah, kind of the bad boy. Yeah. She gets pregnant in 17 and has to drop out. And she wanted to put the child up for adoption, but Richard convinced her to keep the baby, who was born Shannon Sharp in 1973. But with no money, the newly married Sharps had to live with Karen's parents. Oh, it just sounds horrible. And they did not get along with Richard. Karen's mother would sleep in the same room with Karen and the baby. And oh, my heart breaks for Karen. Like, I feel like this poor woman did not have a chance to live a really good life. And we'll see how that turns out for her. Richard is clearly talented medically speaking. And he, well, he's very intelligent. He's extremely intelligent. He ends up going to UConn. He's doing pre-med and then he's then gets into Harvard Medical School. Which is huge. It's I huge. Mean, from whole, where he came from. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of a hero, a hometown hero for getting into Harvard. Right. Exactly. But Karen is working the whole time. She's in this tiny little apartment with Richard with a baby. And Richard insists on complete silence, which if anybody has had an infant is next to impossible. And he's explosive and abusive. And again, my heart goes out to Karen. But this is the thing, though. Richard was very intelligent and top of his class. And he had major aspirations. He wanted to cure cancer. And this is the sort of grandiose Richard. And was it because he had to make up for a crushing sense of low self-esteem from his abusive childhood? I don't know. Or was it his way of getting his abusive father's very elusive approval? Because his father was not one to give out sort of approval. But I think Richard was on this path to prove, to succeed, to really overcome his crappy poor child yeah i get it absolutely it's interesting though that he goes into dermatology for wanting to cure mm -hmm. cancer true yeah that kind of goes where the money is yep and the abuse starts fairly quickly it does as early as the 1970s richard was stealing karen's birth control pills it's kind of in this self-medicating attempt to not only try to curb his aggressive tendencies but also he was hoping to grow breasts as well right i would imagine that wouldn't work and that would just be kind of some, maybe that was something that made him feel better, but. I really do think he felt safe as a female. Yeah. I think that was very deep in with Richard. And Karen would try to hide the abuse and make excuses for Richard. I think people around her knew something was going on. People did witness it at times, but she really covered this up. She really did. And he would blacken her eyes. He was brutal. There was a time when she begged him, please take me to the hospital. I think I'm, and he said, well, you have to say that you fell down the stairs. And it was the sign of the times too. I think there's a lot more awareness about domestic abuse at the time. There just wasn't. In fact, he hit her in front of a cop and the cop just kind of, there was not the sensibility about domestic abuse and how dangerous it is that I think we've developed more today. Or even I think uh, the same insight about mental illness because he was institutionalized 
early on after a, a domestic incident. And they then diagnosed him with depression and some schizoid personality disorders. This is when we see him start to get a lot of medication. Yeah, that's and exactly. Yep. I, and but he would not stay on the medication. And in fact, this was part of the problem. He was deeply mentally ill, I think. And he would try to self-medicate. He would get samples from other doctors. He would go off his regular meds that he had been prescribed. And he would try to self-medicate. And this ends up being very tragic at the end of this. From seeing lists of the medications that he was on, some of these medications, well, who knows what he was supposed to be taking and what he wasn't. Right. Some of them are mind-altering. And he was taking a lot of different medications. That's right. And I, th I think one of the medications was Celexa, which is a antidepressant. It's yeah. an SSRI. Yes. Right. He was taking all, and then he was taking all different medications and then he was also drinking. Yes. I'm not sure he was, you know, there was the same acknowledgement at that time of how dangerous mixing all this stuff was. Absolutely. And again, the Hatfields, Karen's family did not like Richard. No, they never liked him. They never liked Richard, but he would use Shannon, their little baby daughter, as kind of a pawn. He would like sort of threaten to withhold the visits from the Hatfields. I can't imagine that would be a nightmare. If you were a family and you love your daughter, Karen, and she's in the grips of this person that you know is just sort of not the best partner for her, let alone abusing her. I think that sounds night. The whole thing just sounds nightmarish. And this know? marriage really does have a cycle of a typical abuse. She covered up for him. There were reports and then she would withdraw her statements. And then Karen, after many years, gets pregnant again. Well, exactly. I think he probably was very convincing and he oh that's the podcast <laughs> i don't know if anybody can hear this is what started it all brutus has got to insert himself into the into the podcast so here he is and he was also abusive towards shannon he was yeah, he was abusive towards yeah. her daughter and i think you know getting pregnant again and she has two more children makes it even more difficult for her to get the independence Absolutely. and get away from him. She was he, almost free. Oh, yes. And then he just sort of reels her back in. And, and, she, and he convinces her to go off her birth control pills. And she is almost out, almost free. She gets reeled in by the second pregnancy. And the marriage is not getting any better. She has two more children. But she is starting to realize this marriage is, is never going to get any better. And she wants out. I just want to say, too, as a private investigator, I've worked on a lot of domestic assault cases. And, oh, my God, I think that the stereotype of the female partner in these domestic assault cases are these weak kind of oftentimes you find these really tough women who are in these abusive situations and their attitude is like, well, I'm strong enough. I can deal with him. Karen, I think, was a very intelligent, very strong woman. But she just was in this terrible, terrible cycle of abuse with this man. And mind you, all along, this is what's happening behind closed doors in front of the rest of the world. The Sharps, Richard and Karen Sharp, have this ideal life of beautiful houses and super successful dermatology practice. So tell us a little bit about this dermatology practice that they had. He was really ahead of his time because he, when the laser 
hair removal system came out in the 90s. He was one of the first people in the New England area to get that laser, to train people. And then what he did, which is very interesting, was he got these lasers in a portable form and he would travel around. So in this kind of portable bus and bring the laser to different locations. So he made, so he might go to the mall one day, you know, in the South Shore Mall and the North Shore. So he made this laser removal very accessible to people where it had been really inaccessible in the past and unaffordable. So all this, so this was extremely profitable. So he was able to train people to do this and then kind of step back and had this very profitable business. And Shannon worked for him and Karen worked for him. She was a part-time office manager. And we have touched on the fact that he was a cross-dresser. And that was also, I, I want to say, a big part of the business with hair removal. You mean it, a lot of his clients lot of his were clients. men that wanted to get rid of their Trend, body right. hair? Right. The business sought out clients. They would go to conventions in Massachusetts where other people would seek the transsexual community because this would be a big part of their client base they wanted to attract. I never knew that. Right. That's really interesting. But plus, don't forget, there's thousands of women out there too who yeah, want to get, get rid of I just think hair. because of the just the amount of hair on a man's body that was more profitable and richard i had no idea you're going to talk about male body hair on this (laughs) on this episode (laughs) you thought i only talked about it when we weren't recording (laughs) but i mean you know had richard been a more balanced person he probably would have been great as a doctor to advise people on hair removal because he had it's something he had experienced himself absolutely and this is look guys we deal on ivy league murders all the time with someone who so brilliant to come up with this you're right if he had been mentally stable he would have probably owned this business of laser hair removal which is huge right. as we know a person can be brilliant in one category and again not have any emotional intelligence or mental health frankly yeah either. i think it's clear he he had no emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and He was a very successful doctor and very much able to work and succeed, but unable to have personal relationships. So this is the interesting twist in this case. So all this money, all this power, but he, like many, many wealthy people, did not want to pay the taxes that he was making with this tremendously successful business. So he needed Karen to be weak and dependent. And so just to avoid taxes, he put the house in her name. And this was a mistake because with her new asset and new financial freedom, Karen kicked Richard out. And she also had an ill-fated affair with the contractor who was doing work on the new house, which is in Wenham. We actually went up and saw the house. This was one of our, don't say date. Okay, Laura, you said that when we were being interviewed last night. It wasn't a date, okay? Okay. <laughs> it was one of our, do we say play date? Hangouts? A play, yeah. I get a lot of crap for saying play date. So it was one of our first ventures where we went on the road. We went and saw the house, which- uh, The crime scene. We went to the crime yeah, scene. exactly. He basically turned over what was the equivalent of $3 million to yeah. her. So she is basically now. But he didn't do it out of the kindness of his no, heart. No, he did, he it, did it to it shelter to taxes. Shel- yeah. To shelter the money. And then she subsequently 
cuts him off from the money. As Karen is becoming stronger and more independent, Richard snapped. She filed for divorce and she wanted to get away from him. She, she, had, she had had it. 27 years of abuse at the hands of this man and power and control and coercive control. Mm -hmm. Karen had had enough. So Sarah, she files for divorce and we actually have the divorce affidavit, which we got when we went out to see the crime scene. She basically bullet points this abuse and it's it's horrendous. And do you want to read an example of just one of these? This is actually the affidavit of Karen Sharps in support of the restraining order that she had against Richard. On New Year's Eve in the early 80s, my husband and I went out to dinner at his brother's restaurant. On this occasion, my husband began drinking heavily early in the evening and began verbally abusing not only me, but other individuals with whom we were celebrating the holiday. Eventually, his brother asked him to leave. When we left the restaurant, my husband relentlessly began hitting and punching me, which continued as he drove. Eventually, we stopped at a hotel, but we were denied occupancy because I was covered in blood. We traveled to his cousin, George's home, who allowed us to stay with them. To excuse my physical appearance, my husband told his cousin that I was intoxicated and fell down the stairs. I have not had a drink of alcohol since I was 18 years old. As a result of this incident, I suffered from a broken nose, a concussion, two black eyes, and a split lip. This is just one heartbreaking incident after another. This Richard was brutal. Brutal. I mean, she's, she's outlined, you know, 20 other incidents similar to this. So she finally has had enough and she has the money and she has finally has the will to walk away from him, but he's not having it. And in fact, in a strange twist, she files a restraining order. She files for divorce. So Richard, of course, can't let go. So he hires private investigators to go and watch her and see what she's up to. I always think about Laura as a PI, done surveillances on people and that kind of thing. I can't imagine, and I don't know who the PI is. I'd be very curious to find out who the PI was that had mm -hmm. that job. But I can't imagine as a private investigator watching this woman, probably paid very well by Richard Sharp, but then to know eventually Karen Sharp is killed by Richard Sharp. Yeah. We have the same in the Clara Harris case where the PI is watching the husband and Clara Harris yes. kills the, the husband in front of the PI. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So this is July 2000. Karen had gone on. She thought, okay, I've got my independence. I'm free from Richard. She was just sort of coming alive. For the first time, I think Karen was not under the parents' house. She wasn't under Richard's boot anymore. I can see her doing a kind of like makeover. Like, like a you glow know, up. Yeah. Like a glow up. Yeah, my life is finally my own. And she goes on a cruise in Gloucester Bay, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's also July. It's July 14th. So the weather must have just been wonderful wonderful. And she's home with her brother, Jamie, the babysitters there, and her two younger kids are upstairs. Yeah. And they're, th I believe, three and five. I think four and eight. Yeah. They're little. And so Richard comes to the door with a shotgun, 
and shoots Karen twice, perforating one lung, and I believe one bullet goes into her abdomen. Her brother, Jamie, is there. The babysitter is there. It's just a horrific, horrific Yeah, the kids scene. are there. The son is, why did my dad shoot my mom? It's a terrible scene. And come to find out, Richard had parked his car. He hadn't pulled right up. He had parked the car away from the driveway. It's a long driveway pulling up to this large home. And had kind of snuck up and then rang the doorbell. So Karen had come to the door and shot her. And he immediately runs away. It's right. But let me back up for one second. Richard had stolen a gun from his girlfriend or female friend at the time. He was seeing the woman he was seeing. Yeah. Yep. And he also was just on this mad cocktail of alcohol, drugs, pills, Etc. So, yeah, he was very abusive with alcohol. I think that substance abuse is a big part of his story. Absolutely. And- Plus, with very flagrant mental illness, by the way. So it's kind of like, in any case, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that this is his frame of mind when he goes to the Wenham house and they open the door. And he's there with shotgun in hand and and kills Karen and in re- cold blood. It really seems like the precipitous event is really this $3 million. It, I mean, I guess that's debatable, but this seems to really enrage him. And it, it, she will not get power and control back and get this money back from her. Bingo. I think yeah, it's the power, the power and control right. and how dare she have her own life. And she's happy. I'm not. Whatever was going through his head. So what does he do after he pulls the trigger? So he gets in his car and he drives and he winds up holed up in this crappy motel in New Hampshire. Yep. They trace the car. I believe there's a sort of pretty canny New Hampshire. I think he's a statey or some local cop, I think, who figures out that Richard Sharp is staying at this hotel. He's probably on his way to Canada, frankly, I think. I don't even know that he was thinking that far in advance. It takes them about a day and a half to find him, and they do eventually catch him, and he surrenders without a fight. I don't think he was thinking that far in advance, but we'll never know. When he's arrested, if anyone, we'll post some pictures. He's really kind of a mess. It's true. And the press gets a hold of this. And again, the Hatfield family is devastated by this. The kids are devastated. This always breaks my heart, Laura, because not only have they lost their mom, I don't think Shannon had much of a relationship with Richard. I don't think she even liked her father at all. But the fact that the mother is gone, he's in prison, and this is a nightmare for this family. And I think because when this happened, one of the first things that came out were these pictures of Richard Sharp dressed as a woman. And we saw those on the news and in the press. And at the time, that was very salacious. I think it would be treated differently today. And that really made the story kind of blow up. And the kind of the New York Post headline, if I always use that phrase, because I don't think this was actually, but this was one of the, it was like demon doc dressed as woman. That was one of the, you know. Right. So it really kind of got, became this really racy story. And I think in a way, almost people forgot or weren't as focused on the domestic abuse, which was real, and the substance abuse, which was really, to me, is really what this is about. It's true. And I think that, again, I I do think that his transvestism, if I can use that word, would probably have been handled differently by the press today. However, I think the fact these pictures of him dressed as a woman at the time really sensationalized this case because it was not as 
I think trans issues were not as accepted then. It was much more of a behind the scenes, behind closed doors kind of thing. There's nothing about being transsexual that makes you violent. I, I don't, I don't. So to me, this was kind of a non-issue in the story. This story was about an abusive, violent man whose abuse was fueled by substance abuse and mental illness and I, those other issues. That, those were really non-issues to me in the case. And so Richard goes to trial and he gets sentenced to life. They try to play all kinds of, he's got, you know, mental illness. And that's that's what they plead. But it's very hard to say he wasn't responsible for his actions when it looked pretty calculating. Um, Parking the car far away. I mean, you have to, to plead mentally ill, you have to basically show that you didn't know what you were doing. As we've covered before in our cases, the standard for mental illness is pretty high in order to be deemed mentally ill and therefore not responsible for such a hideous crime that it really is a high bar. And he does not meet this bar. And there's footage out there of him testifying and it's a little alarming. He has his eyes shut, downcast. And I don't know if this is an act to to appear mentally ill or if this is really how he is. I think he's not beyond manipulation too, as we've seen in his life writ large. This case for me really intersects my podcasting with my PI work Mm -hmm. because I actually worked on the Richard Sharp case, sort of a subsequent case. So in 2007, a fellow prisoner of Sharp's claimed that Sharp offered him money to kill the prosecutor. And um, the guy's name was Weiner, I believe. Great guy. Actually, I met him in person. A correctional officer at Walpole Prison also claimed he overheard the conversation in the cell behind where the cells are in Walpole. So Walpole Prison is a medium security prison. Walpole's pretty famous prison. So what myself and the attorney did is we went into, they cleared out the cells at Walpole and we went behind the cells there are these passageways which is where the correctional officer claimed he was where he heard this so interesting and we conducted sound tests <laughs> between the cell and in this back corridor but i'm telling you this these corridors were so creepy laura you could just feel all the years of there was like a dead rat back there oh it was it was really horrendous anyway so we actually won that case but it was kind of a an empty victory in some ways what we were able to show is that someone would have to be talking really really loudly in order to be heard in these back hallways so we did win the case but it was kind of an empty victory because richard sharp was already in prison in, for in prison for life anyway and he does end up taking his own life in 2009 yeah he doesn't fare well in prison. No, which I no. think was to be expected. And he takes his own life, and and he is sued. The estate is also sued by by Shannon for several million dollars. Basically, I think he was still from prison trying to manipulate the money. Oh, and I'm sure withhold and play games mm-hmm. and that kind of oh. thing. And I don't believe Shannon had any kind of relationship with her father. Her father had been abusive to her. He had clearly killed her mother, and I think she just exed him out of her life. It was the end of a terrible chapter. And I can only hope that his children live good and fruitful lives and, you know, and, and can have a better legacy for their mother.
my heart just goes out to Karen because I think she was probably a lovely, wonderful woman who did not have a chance at having any kind of a life. And and again, it's like, okay, if you were to look at her house in Wenham and the new kitchen and then you know, you'd say, God, this woman is gorgeous. She's mm-hmm. got a great life. Right. She's It's how enviable, but you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Right. And we know? see that here most of the weeks on Ivy League Murders. Yeah. You just can't judge someone's insides by their outsides. Another fascinating case, Sarah. It's that's right. And if you bring up man hair again, okay, I'm gonna <laughs> gonna get upset. All right, we will forward to another interesting case next week. Murder, murder.